are listening to the Redfield Arts Audio Podcast. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Redfield Arts Audio has produced an audio adaptation of Eugene O'Neill's Pulitzer Prize winning play, Anna Christie. Our production stars Mackenzie Mentor as Anna, Ben Dawson as Matt, J.R. Liston as Chris, and Lois Bailey DeVees as Marthy. It was adapted and directed by Mark Redfield. Give me a whiskey, ginger ale on the side. You look all in. Been on a bat? Traveling, day and a half on the train. Had to sit up all night in the dirty coach. God bless who's here. And how is the world treating you this afternoon? Pretty good, if it ain't for some fellas. Me to me, dude. That kiss was for goodbye, Matt. What do you mean? I can't marry you, Matt, and we've said goodbye, that's all. One afternoon, after a recording session, Mark and Mackenzie sat down to chat. Let's listen. So tell me, where did the theater bug... Where did the theater bug... No, when? (laughs) When did the theater bug bite you? I was in dance and choir as a kid, but I think the theater bug really bit me when I did... A theater camp with my cousin. I, I did there. a th- I did a theater camp. Is that where it bit you? <laughs> I think I was bit before. Oh, okay. I think I was bit and then and then had to do a theater camp. Oh, that'll do it. Mm-hmm. I was thrown into this theater camp and cast as the grandmother in The Little Mermaid, which you didn't know was a character. Mm-mm. I didn't know was a character, Mm-mm. but I had more lines than anybody else because. They split the part of Ariel between seven different little girls, oh. and. I stole the show playing an old lady in second grade. So, in other words, you were in all of the shows Mm -hmm. when they alternated aerials. Oh, no, no. They split the role within the show. Oh, that's stupid. (laughs) It's just flat out stupid. It was theater camp. I don't don't make the rules. How old were these little girls that were playing Ariel? I was in second grade, so they had to have been around Mm. my age. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think my first play was in the third grade. And it was a play that I don't know who wrote it. And it was called, and this is something we share in common. The play that I was in was a Halloween play. It was called Scary Larry. And it was the fact (laughs) that, I swear to God, (laughs) it was the fact that Larry was not very scary. And he had to go to like spook school or something. And and Scary Larry was played by, I remember suddenly all these memories. You've you've brought all this back. Scary Larry was played by Demetrius Macris, and Demetrius was this little chubby Greek kid who was as neat as a pin. He just, he, he, he his pencil box and his desk was neat. Everything about him was like clean and neat, and I played, and this is what we share in common, I played the older role. I played the professor of the school, had a mortarboard hat and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff, and I played an older character, and I was, and for me it was third grade. So... With you, was was it your idea to, did you want to dance? And that's where the dance classes, or were you thrown into that too? My sister was a dancer, and so I just wanted she to be had. just like oh. her. But I chose choir. Uh, she did a couple music camps with the Houston Opera. I'm from Houston. 
Um, and I joined our small town community choir, and that's how I fell into so the you've choir been singing, thing. So you've been singing from the beginning. Forever. And you sing now. Yeah, just in that moment. I love your singing. <laughs> um, so you, you, you're in The Little Mermaid, and then um, uh, you fell in love with it. You mm-hmm. wanted to do more and more acting. Kept dancing, kept singing, started doing all the plays at school. We did um, The Wizard of Oz in the Wild West. Oh, cool. Is it? Um, it was a really <laughs> I'm just, interesting I'm just with you. script. I played Wicked Witch, um, but she was her name was Miss Grimshaw, and she was like a crazy old lady who ran the general store and didn't like anybody. So it was a perfect role for me in sixth grade. Um, and then I started doing musicals in junior high and high school. And then where did you go to school? I mean, uh, college. I mean, where did you then go on for more training? I went to school in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City University. I studied musical theater. Um, and from there, I I did a Shakespeare intensive when I studied abroad, but I mostly focused on singing and acting. And then I moved to New York. Wow. So... Musicals are something that you're in love with, and I'm. This is something that we're going to tap into, and in some of the stuff that we're doing together, the, mm-hmm. doing some songs to have you sing in some of the audio plays that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, you did not know there was singing in Anna Christie in Eugene O'Neill's <laughs> play, but there is now. <laughs> oh, look! There you are on YouTube. What is this we're about to listen to? This is "Glad to Be Unhappy." It's a performance I did in my senior recital from Oklahoma City University. Thank you. 
I love that. You have a great voice. And what's Thank you. A, what's this one? This one is Many a New Day from Oklahoma. I did this in a showcase in New York City. So then you moved to New York. Um, what are your first impressions of, um, th- obviously you're moving to New York <laughs> not to temp and not to get a work, uh, you know, in a Starbucks. As fun as those things are. <laughs> you're, you're, you're moving to New York to do more theater work and hopefully mm-hmm. musical theater. And uh, So what were your first impressions of, of the city so nice they named it twice? <laughs> I kind of always knew I wanted to move to New York. I had family in Connecticut, and they got married in the city. So when I was five years old, I visited. And then I visited um, in junior high and high school when I fell in love with musical theater specifically and just knew that that was where I wanted to be. I loved being surrounded by people. Um, Even if I wasn't actually having a conversation with them, it was interesting to walk through Times Square and hear... 12 different languages being spoken around you. And that's what I love about it. I think it's a really interesting place. I love New York City. Um, When you get to New York and you're an adult, um, and I use that term lovingly loosely as an adult, as we all are who are actors, what's the first show that you did in New York? I did The Two Gentlemen of Verona. And you played... I played three different men. Of of course. (laughs) Yeah, like you do. I played um, Panthino, who's the little quirky assistant to the Duke. And then I played the musician, um, because I play music and sing, (laughs) so that was convenient for them. And then I also played... They obviously read um, your resume when you showed up. Yeah. And said, her, this one. She plays the ukulele. Um, which is the easiest instrument to learn, but you know, and you can disguise it as a lute, right? Yeah, In exactly. Which is exactly what we did. And I played uh, one of the the oh, we th- we made them pirates, but oh the um, oh yeah, it's not a play that I is, comes readily to mind. That's but okay. I know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, but you love Shakespeare. I do. See, I love again, Shakespeare. I think it's just like like people and the creative people because I'm a Shakespeare I'm dying to do some more Shakespeare mm-hmm. um, let me guess you've played Juliet yes and I played Juliet are you saying and as in tell what else more. have I played oh <laughs> yeah tell me more How, what was your production like was it um, um, we set it in the 90s oh so all 90s music a nostalgia um, piece <laughs> <laughs> basically for the director it was sort of um just like these, the Montagues were very like grunge rock stars and the Capulets were very like preppy, clueless type people. And the, the idea that those conflicting ideals were the ideals that were conflicting. <laughs> In other words, we don't have a budget for costumes. And Basically, we're just going <laughs> use to, your closet. You, earlier today, we were talking about Shakespeare movies. We were talking about Baz Luhrmann. Mm-hmm. We were talking about v- different uh, versions of things. And I, did you say? Did I hear you wrong when you said there wasn't 
a Romeo and Juliet that you liked. It's, that's correct. I think that happened when I actually did the play because the Olivia de Havilland. Is, yes, she Olivia. she was my no 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 f- Olivia Hussey. Olivia and, Hussey, uh, Leonard White. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she her Juliet is by far my favorite. But they cut my favorite Juliet monologue from that movie, <laughs> which they used for her audition, and that's how she got the role. Right. But then they cut that whole part of the play. So yeah, that's, that's the, my only qualm with that. Right. And that's the Franco Zeffirelli yeah. uh, film mm-hmm. uh, of it. And uh, that's a tough one. I mean, it's a tough, it's a tough Shakespeare to shoot. Um, I, I think there has been more successes with some others where mm-hmm. you, you know, everyone is going to have broad experimentation. Right. Right? And it's not how he was written. It's not. Yeah. It's just not how that was made to be done. But we need to do more Shakespeare. I, I would think. love to. I, I love Shakespeare. Coming from musical theater, it's a very musical What's your favorite musical? My favorite musical, it changes day to day, but right now it's Cabaret. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I did it in college, and I would love to take a crack at Sally Bowles again, but that that storyline and the way that they create this world within the Weimar Republic, while the world is falling apart around them, but it's just this one big underground party. Yeah. Um, and the juxtaposition of the music with what's actually happening is really interesting to me. Oh, it's 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 absolutely phenomenal. It is one of my favorite musical films. Um, That's where we disagree. <laughs> uh, why? Why? I'm just I'm I, curious. My biggest qualm with that is that they made her American. And him British. Yeah. And I think that just makes her a jerk because (laughs) she is so carefree the whole time. Yeah. Because in the play, she's British. And that is, her family is going to be affected. And her world that she used to live in, she can't really go back to that either. But in the movie, she's American, so she can just go home. I I think it's funny to nitpick a minute that our disagreement on the film is based on your reading of character that is clearly based on the casting of a British Michael York mm-hmm. and a an American Liza Minnelli. Right. And my liking and love of the musical is my jumping off point to say that is the filmmaking. Okay. <clears throat> and because I would agree with you about the character choices, but as a, as a film... Uh, I, I just I, I love uh, I love uh, I love the film very much. Um, so another crack at Sally Bowles mm-hmm. would be great. Um, what's your next favorite musical? And is this a um, a follow up question to that? Would be uh, what's on your what's in your bucket list that you'd like to do? Oh, and I... this is not necessarily a musical either. It can be you know, mm-hmm. but we're talking about theater at this point so it could be a musical could be a straight play. right there are so many things on my bucket list i'd love to do bonnie and bonnie and clyde i'd love to do lady mm-hmm. m in the scottish play mm-hmm. um beatrice and much ado and you'd be very good i you know there's a lot of things that you've we've talked about before you're mentioning now that you would be very good on there's a when i first met you uh i saw you in a production in new york of mm-hmm. dracula mm-hmm and it was an original, it was a new adaptation. It was somebody else, it was not uh, one of the known uh, adaptations that people do around the world. Um, it, was, uh, it was a fun adaptation. 
you played Mina mm-hmm. Parker, and uh, you were fantastic. Well, thank you. And you were very welcome. <laughs> and you did, you had this marvelous arc, the way uh, what was chosen to pull out of, you know, if anybody's familiar with the novel Dracula, the story of Dracula, what happens to Lucy and Mina, uh, where you go with Mina very much, there were moments, I mean, first of all, your performance, you you were incredible and you really did pop. I, I think I said to you uh, soon after we met that you were like three dimensions, I mean, it's theater, so of course you're three dimensional. <laughs> you can almost reach out and touch them on stage. <laughs> but you really were floating above uh, in your scenes. You were you were really great. And the darker this Mina got in that script, mm-hmm. all of that babble is to say you would be a great Lady M. I, I can see, and I do believe something that a, that a, that a theater director, professor of theater, when I was at school, said to me about me playing M, Mister uh, mm-hmm. M, Mister <laughs> M, Lord, Lord M, Fane M, Fane mm-hmm. M, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, to get some life experience. Uh, mm-hmm. To to mm-hmm. to to to. Um, he also said that I would never understand the role if I didn't have. I won't go places yet. when they start children? telling you you need to have children yeah. and things like well, that. Well, that's a big part of their relationship. And it is. And it, and it is. But I but I do kind of believe that a little bit of a little bit of life under the skin um uh, does really help. Mm-hmm. But doer now when you're younger and that's a role that you can come back to many many times mm-hmm. over the course of many many years. Right. But just seeing what you did with Mina there in some key scene and who 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 wrote that version of Dracula? Ted Minos. Ted Minos. Mm-hmm. I mean, just what he was doing with the character, and you filled it. Uh, I can see Lady M very clearly in those moments. It was. It was. It'll be. It would be fun to do something. Yeah. That's one on my bucket list to direct. Really? Yeah. So I interrupted you with <laughs> the excitement about the Shakespeare because we both love Shakespeare. But mm-hmm. what's what else is in in your bucket list that you'd like to do? Uh, I like to play characters with mental illness. I think that those are people who tend to be misunderstood. And I like to dive deeper into the humanity of the characters that are written that way um, because they are all people. And so telling those stories has become really important to me. Are there examples of that that you can give? Because <gasps> I could throw you things that I've been toying around with the back of, back mm-hmm. of my head that I've, I've been um, playing with, uh, adapting or doing. I worked on a, a stage play and an audio adaptation of Charlotte Perkins Gilman's The Yellow Wallpaper, mm-hmm. um, where that character, the character of, quote-unquote, the wife, um, is she going mad? Is she really experiencing ghosts and voices? What are the voices in her head that she's hearing? And people have very strong opinions about that. Mm-hmm. She's going insane. This is mental illness here. Um no, she's, some people read it as a ghost story, but is there something, uh, is there a character you'd like to create and, and, or a project you'd like to work on uh, that has to do with that, or are there, there are established scripts that you know of? Examples for me would be um, Blanche Dubois. Oh, of course. Uh, because they never really explain what is going on with her, but she is obviously not like everybody else. Absolutely. Um and Lady M. Lady M. <laughs> and uh, Diana and Next to Normal. Yeah. Would be great. Just a lot of um, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Out there. <laughs> there is so much. And they are, again, they're the kind of roles, well, we've already talked about Lady M, but they are the kind of roles that you can do several times in a career. Mm-hmm. And every time you come back to them, because even my ill-fated story about playing Prospero twice, that was 15 years apart, or maybe even more. Mm-hmm. So when I'm glib, I can say I was too young. I was old enough to be a father. Mm-hmm of a Miranda, but maybe I was too young to play Prospero because he is a very sage and wise person right. and there's a lot of... And then on a whole other level, on a director's level, I, I, I love the play and there's so many things to do with it, but these are the kind of roles that you can revisit a couple of mm-hmm. times. Let that experience percolate of having performed it, mm-hmm. let some life get under it, and then do it again. You'll find new things all the time. Right. I feel that way about Juliet too. I feel like... Anybody who's young enough to actually be Juliet is too young to understand Juliet. Exactly. Um, but I still feel like there are things that I don't understand about her. Exactly. And she drove me nuts sometimes as a character. I get it. I get it. I played Romeo too in a production that I directed and produced in college. It was a huge thing. And uh, yeah, I was too I was too young to play Romeo <laughs> when I played yeah. him. Um, yeah, and that's where you met J.R. Liston, right? Yeah, uh, who's in a lot of our uh, audio pieces mm-hmm. now. I mean, Jay has been... I've, I've, I've worked with Jay in a play, a film, and now audio stuff my entire career mm-hmm. as an adult since the time I was, I guess, about 18. Mm-hmm. Or 17 or 18, whenever I did that, Romeo and Juliet. Blow and, me uh, another scoop, huh? I'll drink your kid's health for ya. <laughs> Read the eh? Scoop! Ah. And celebrate because Anna's coming home. Bring another drink, Larry. Easy there. Don't be breaking the table, yo goat. You're south to the ears, Dutchie. <laughs> Go out and put a feed into you. It'll sober you up. You'll want to be sober when she comes, don't you? Oh, by golly, yes. A good beef stew will fix you. Go around the corner. All right, all right. Pay me back soon, Marty. Yeah. How have you enjoyed doing the audio stuff with us? I love it. It was very new for me. I'd done some music recording in college uh, and before college to submit to jobs but this whole world of voiceover work was very new for me and I love it it's fun to be able to play with the characters and you can do crazy things behind the curtain and nobody can see the goofy faces you're making and you take as many takes as you want oh absolutely you can you don't have to get dressed you don't have to shave if you're a man or Mm -hmm. if you're a woman I don't know but (laughs) you can just show up as you are but you can be theatrical you can be naturalistic I mean the the sky's the limit Mm -hmm. uh, with audio work and I'm really really enjoying it you've also done a little film work lately Mm -hmm. just some short films and things like that I think Um, how's that been for you I really enjoy that too it was again a new world for me coming from a music theater background where it's you get one shot to do whatever you're doing and that's it. Um, so film was a, a great place for me to learn how to play. Well, I'm glad you're part of the company and let's get back to work. Let's get to the studio and get something else done. Sounds great. <laughs>
Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Redfield Arts Audio Podcast. For more information about where to listen to our production of Eugene O'Neill's Anna Christie, please visit our website, redfieldartsaudio.com. Now available on Audible worldwide and everywhere audiobooks and audio drama is sold. Oscar Wilde's The Canterville Ghost, performed by Mark Redfield, with Mackenzie Mentor as Virginia. Redfield Arts Audio presents The Canterville Ghost by Oscar Wilde Performed by Mark Redfield with Mackenzie Mentor When Mr. Hiram B. Otis, the American minister, bought Canterville Chase, Everyone told him he was doing a very foolish thing, as there was no doubt at all that the place was haunted. Indeed, Lord Canterville himself, who was a man of the most punctilious honour, had felt it was his duty to mention the fact to Mr. Otis when they came to discuss terms. We have not cared to live in the place ourselves, said Lord Canterville. Since my grandaunt, the Dowager Duchess of Bolton was frightened into a fit from which she never really recovered. By two skeleton hands being placed on her shoulders as she was dressing for dinner. And I feel bound to tell you, Mr. Otis, that the ghost has been seen by several living members of my family as well as by the rector of the parish, the Reverend Augustus Dampierre, who is a fellow of King's College, Cambridge. After the unfortunate accident of the Duchess, none of our younger servants would stay with us, and Lady Canterville often got very little sleep at night in consequence of the mysterious noises that came from the corridor and the library. My lord answered the minister. I will take the furniture and the ghost at evaluation. I have come from a very modern country, and we have everything that money can buy. And with all of our spry young fellows painting the old world red and carrying off your best actors and prima donnas, I reckon that if there was such a thing as a ghost in Europe, we'd have it at home in a very short time in one of our public museums or on the road as a show. I fear that the ghost exists, said Lord Canterville, smiling. 
though it may have resisted the overtures of your enterprising impresarios. It has been well known for three centuries, since 1584, in fact, and always makes its appearance before the death of any member of our family. Well, so does the family doctor, for that matter, Lord Canterville. But there is no such thing, sir, as a ghost. And I guess the laws of nature are not going to be suspended for the British aristocracy. You are certainly very natural in America, answered Lord Canterville, who did not quite understand Mr. Otis's last observation. And if you don't mind a ghost in the house, it is all right. Only you must remember, I warned you. I'm so sorry for you, she said. But my brothers are going back to Eton tomorrow. And then if you behave yourself, no one will annoy you. It is absurd asking me to behave myself. He answered, looking round in astonishment at the pretty little girl who had ventured to address him, quite absurd. I must rattle my chains and groan through keyholes and walk about at night, if that is what you mean. It is my only reason for existing. It is no reason at all for existing. And you know, you have been very wicked. Mrs. Umney told us the first day we arrived here that you had killed your wife. Well, I quite admit it, said the ghost petulantly. But it was a purely family matter, concern no one else. It is very wrong to kill anyone, said Virginia, who at times had a sweet Puritan gravity caught from some old New England ancestor. Oh, I hate the cheap severity of abstract ethics. My wife was very plain. Never had my ruffs properly starched and knew nothing about cookery. Why, there was a buck I had shot in Ogley Woods, a magnificent pricket, and you know how she had it sent up to the table? However, it is no matter now, for it is all over.